So if former engineers are given the chance to combat climate change, I think they would come up with solutions that these solutions will be maybe more practical and would consider the impact of climate change on the society. Hi and welcome to a new episode of the podcast Gender and Climate. This is Annika. In this podcast, I interview experts about the nexus of gender and climate change and we discuss how people all around the world are affected. As we can only combat the climate catastrophe while achieving gender equality, my goal is to generate attention for the deeply interconnected topics of gender equality and climate justice. We need all hands on deck in order to overcome the crisis of our time, because only together we can change our world for the better. In this episode, I speak to Hanan Farhat. Hanan is the founder and director of the first National Corrosion Center in Qatar. She has a vast background in engineering and supports women engineers. In this episode, we discuss the situation concerning climate change and gender inequality in the Middle East and North Africa, why public transport is no good idea in Qatar and how women engineers act differently in order to combat the climate catastrophe. So, let's get started. Hi Hanan, I'm so happy to have you here today. Hi. It's a pleasure for me, and I'm very happy to have this conversation with you today. <laughs> um, globally, looking at the like looking at the globe, we're not that far away from each other, I think. So there are not too many kilometers away um, in between of us. But I think we're having very, very much differences in the cu- on the cultural background, um, and that's why I would love to dive directly into the first question, Hanan. Where are you right now and where did you actually grow up? Um, I'm now at Doha, Qatar, and I would say that we always grow. So, you know, I'm still growing, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I spent parts of my life in different countries. So I was born in Athens, Greece, and spent part of my childhood there. And then my family moved back to Libya, were originally from Libya, where I spent all my childhood and teenager ages there and did my undergraduate study in materials and metallurgical engineering. And then I worked in Libya for a couple of years as an engineer and moved in management positions, which is very, very difficult for women to get into leadership positions in the late 90s, early 200. Uh, And then after that, I decided to leave the country and look for um, more freedom and more opportunities in Canada. So I immigrated to Canada and I did my graduate study in Canada and I spent really, really good time there. Then I married a Canadian who works in the Middle East. So he brought me back to the Middle East. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I'm back, you know, I'm in Qatar now. I've been work I've been in Qatar since 2008. I worked with the industry in Qatar. Oh, quite a quite Yes, a while. it is. Yes, I mean, <laughs> kids were born here. I've been working with the oil and gas industry here and um and then I found that I really find myself more into research and more into, you know, taking action to make things better. And so I shifted to research and this is where I started the corrosion center in Qatar, and uh, it's been really very good uh, 
time, you know, and we spoke earlier about how um, corrosion leads to plant leaks and these leaks would pollute the environment and the impact of these leaks are, is very significant. So I, you know, I figure out, okay, if we want to do something, we could be able to change things by making the impact of this industry less by trying to prevent these leaks from happening and, you know, try to make a, self, a better and safer um, equipment and assets uh, environment. And so that's what mm -hmm. we have been doing. Because, mm -hmm. um, well, that's, that's my word, actually. Because um, if we look at the oil and gas industry, we're not looking at the most sustainable industries. We're looking at one of the biggest polluters of um, this world. Um, and of course, you're sitting in Qatar. And we want to talk today about Qatar and the Middle East and North Africa. Um, would you like, I would like to start our conversation with the question, how is the situation currently concerning climate change and gender equality in the Middle East and North Africa? Because as far as I know, those are, well, let's say Qatar is not being a pioneer in these fields, as far as I know, but. <laughs> that is a big change you can see here in Qatar, and especially I would say in the recent years. So there is more awareness of climate change and the impact of climate change. But if I talk in general about the MENA region, it's still really at the beginning because there isn't enough realization of the impact of climate change. And people, you know, they're still continuing their normal activities that we see that can be harmful to the environment. You know, the use of plastic bags is still everywhere. Recycling is not considered, you know, um, using, you know, the use of coal in many countries in the MENA region, coal is everywhere and it's still used. And so people don't link things and don't see that impact, even though we see a very increase in the temperature. The temperature here is rising more than what we have seen before. And I, I talk to you and I said, you know, the temperature in the summer, for example, in the Gulf region where I am now could reach 50 degrees. Uh, but if you go to other, you know, countries in the Middle East and North Africa, temperature was not as high as what we see now. And the changes also in the weather and the seasons is completely different. And then the other thing we see is the scarcity of water resources. So there is a lot of drought, a lot of, you know, um, uh, agriculture is suffering in these countries, but the link between both, and I would say this is more the knowledge. And so people do not get, they did still did not get the right knowledge to link things together. And then the other thing that we have, which we discussed earlier is the transportation. You know, people here prefer to drive cars because it's kind of, you know, socially is a kind of wealth, independence and, and status, right? Yes, it's a status. And status yes, exactly. to kind of like show exactly. up. So I'm driving my car. Yes, and the bigger your car is, the, you know, the better you are, you know. I drive a small yeah. car and many people ask me and they say, oh, your car is this. And I'm like, you know, this is good enough for me. It takes me to places, it's good. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not in the culture still. In many of these countries, they still want the big cars. Public transportation, mm -hmm doesn't seem to be the best option in many of these countries. So even if they have a well-developed public transportation system, they don't, don't use it. 
or it's not utilized in the right way or it's not planned in a way where it's convenient for people to use. And in some of the MENA regions, the public transportation system is very, very bad that people, you know, very crowded and they try to avoid it. Or like in some countries like Egypt, you know, it's very difficult to get into public transportation because of the, you know, the number of people who are using these um, these facilities. Mm -hmm. So it's so it's more challenging than other countries in here. However, we see, you know, a very big improvement, and it's mainly with the young generation that has more awareness. They're more exposed to social media, and they, you know, now our world is just one world. You know, we're all connected, even if we don't want to. You know, it's we're not different, and you see this with the young generation a lot and it's very surprising they are trying to save resources you know uh, with power with water you see this trend and you see it also in many countries in the education system so schooling is talking about the impact of climate change renewable energy so we see that also happening so there is a hope that this is better uh, when it comes to gender equality here it has been a challenge and it's still a challenge. We see improvement, but it is very slow improvement. And it's, this again goes back to the culture and the society. So men are perceived as the leaders, whatever they are. So even if you sit in a meeting room and if there are men and women, okay, the leader of the group is gonna have to be a man. There is no way they're gonna have a task force or committee that will be led by a woman if there are men there. So it's always, there is this, you know, perceiving that the men are the leaders. And also we see it in the social life. So women are somehow, I would say, perceived that they are immature. And so they don't trust women in making decisions. And I, I, I have to say that this is not generalized, but, you know, it's very common. It's a high percent compared to other places. And so, you know, if a woman wanna decide about her partner, she doesn't have the choices in many of these countries. Or if they want to decide about what to study or where to work, they can't. Males have to decide for them. So we have... A so it's basically, sorry for interrupting, but it's basically the father of the girls or the uncles or, or the, brothers, the friend, or the grandpa or... Or the brothers, you know, like, All you right. know, if a woman want to marry, then the brothers, even if, they are, even if they are younger, they have to decide if this husband is okay or not. And so it doesn't really matter the age or the maturity, but if they are men, then they are better at judging the situation than women. That's how they perceive mm -hmm. it. So mm -hmm. that's that's a big challenge here. And we see a lot of improvement, you know, uh, United Nations is supporting improvement uh, and gender equality. We see lots of governments that are promoting this and uh, many groups that started. So I'm leading the MENA Women in Engineering, we're called MENA WIN, and our focus is to support women in the Middle East and the North African region and try to, we focus a lot in knowledge. So we give, you know, the plan is to give like so many seminars, webinars and different topics. And, you know, the knowledge is a strength. So if you give the knowledge, then people will be stronger. So this is one of the things. And then we do a, a lot of uh, mentoring where we support women through mentoring programs and, mm -hmm 
also we look at role models and we you know show good examples so women can uh, can look at them we have also other groups like mina women in law mina women in finance and technology so we see a lot of these groups and the nice thing about these groups you know we're really very connected you know when i started my group I talked to Mina Women in Law and they said, okay, we can look at your charter and tell you if it's, you know, okay and it's legal. You go to Mina Women in Finance, okay, you can use our platform if you need to. So we get this nice connection between women that is, I think, empowering, mm -hmm. but the progress is very slow. We like to see it mm -hmm. faster and better in terms of climate change, in terms of gender equality, but it's not. But you know, we're better than what we where we were five years ago, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and and how is like I have, I have two two questions basically. Um, for the first question is how is the social difference between men and women affecting you in your leadership position? Are you given the like the decision making power or the the well, do people really believe that you can take good decisions? How how is how do you perceive that in your daily day to day business? So it depends on where you work. So where I work, I work really at an organization that is mainly the top and the organization is a woman. So it makes a big difference, you know, when the organization is run by a woman. So it's um, so it's called we go under different levels, but the top level is Qatar Foundation and it's uh, the CEO, the chairperson of Qatar Foundation and the CEO are women. And here there is a lot of empowerment for women. So if we have a meeting, we have to have 50% of the attendees women. So we focus on gender equality, we focus on diversity, inclusion. So it's a very good organization to work at. And I was able to you know, get this management position. So I'm a senior director, but we have, uh, um, three more senior directors in our organization, our research institute. So that's very significant compared to other places. So in my case now, I'm in a good place where I can make my decision, my decision is respected, and I can, you know, you get the support from my boss, the upper, upper levels. We have very good system. I worked in other places where it was impossible to consider you in a decision making, or even if you are in the room, where the decision you know, is made in that management meeting, whatever you give as a suggestion is always ignored. So you see that a lot. And you see it even in your daily, you know, daily life, you go to the store or whatever, you see the, you know, if a man, if you're standing in a lineup and a man just goes ahead of you, nobody will talk about it and it's fine. You know? Or if when you're driving and they see a woman in the road, and they can really cross in front of her. It's okay, she's a woman, you know, she's gonna be scared. And so you see that a lot. And that disturbed me, you know, when I started realizing this, that was disturbing me. But then after a while, you start to think, okay, this cannot be changed if we don't change the society itself. And this is a culture. Mm -hmm. And where we are now, there's a lot of influence, you know, there is a lot of Indian culture, which has the same you know, idea about men and women and gender equality. So you see lots of cultures that have emphasized this. And what we need to do is we need to work on the society because you cannot work in, a, you know, individuals. It will not work. You can't change individuals if you don't change the perspective of society. So it's not easy, but it's, uh, it's happening. I'm lucky where I am, as what I said, but I have seen so many women, especially in the industry and engineers, 
that were ignored because of their gender. Mm We'll come to that point of the engineering part in a bit. I have one more question, because um, when we were talking about the climate change and um, the how it affects agriculture, for example, who are the ones in the MENA region being responsible for the agricultural part? Are these the women, like in, in Latin America, for example, in Peru, um, they're especially women in charge of the, of the agricultural part, um, how is that in the MENA region? Because if agriculture is being affected largely by climate change, um, and we know it is, um, are women then more impacted than the men? Or what is your experience in the MENA region? What would you yeah, say? So the MENA region is different. You get in the MENA region, you know, the Gulf, or you have, you know, uh, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, UAE, and these countries are in general are very wealthy. The climate here is more a desert, you know, uh, climate. So you don't see a lot of agriculture. And in the, uh, the agriculture here is uh, a bit depending on man-made development and technology. But you go to other countries like Jordan, like Egypt, you know, and you see there at Libya, uh, Tunisia, you see a lot of, um, you know, farmers that are doing this work. Now, each country has its own system. So you get the Ministry of Agriculture who's supporting the these systems and puts the rules, but then you get the farmers. And most of these Arabic countries, the farmers are men. In some countries, women are contributing, but in most of them, and I would say the majority of them are men. But who is suffering from the impact of the change in this climate and, you know, the impact on agriculture are women because women are the ones who feed the family. And so when the prices of vegetables and fruits increase, you know, women have to come up with alternative meals for the family. And so, you know, and the ones who go to the market in this culture, usually the ones who go to the market to get these goods and the food are women usually, because they're the ones who plan the meals, you know, who who take care of the family. And those are the ones that are suffering a lot because they have to come up with other plans to have alternative meals that are nutrition and healthy for the family. I, you know, I don't want to talk like about, for example, a place like Yemen, where they have a war now and they have famation. And, you know, women are just boiling leaves, tree leaves in water and giving it to their families to eat. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a dr- there is a drought there, there is a f- civil war there, and women are the, the forefront fighting that. Thank you, Hanan, for, for making these points so clear about the agriculture and the technology st- um, side of, of the MENA region. Um, you've mentioned that, especially in the MENA region, the technolo- it's a technology-driven um, region. Um, how would you say women act differently in engineering? Well, you know, if we look at engineering itself, it's engineering is mainly based on problem solving. So that's the heart of engineering and the core of engineering is critical thinking. So women engineers are trained to find solutions that work. Now, what's the difference if we put women engineers in a decision-making, and especially when it comes to climate change or in engineering technology work? Women in nature, they look for details. You know, we look at everything and we try to have everything done well. But also at the same time, women are connected to their families, to their communities. And I've seen 
in many cases, you know, when we have women designing a building, you see a lot of details that haven't been considered in other buildings that would consider a child, a senior, an adult, you know, a man, a man or a woman. And so that's that's something that what the women add to the table. And if we look at technology that would be sustainable, would be environmentally friendly, I think women would add a lot to this. And I think, you know, if we get, if we have women getting the opportunity to build infrastructure, transportation system, we could see not, I, would, I wouldn't say better, but we could see another perspective that would include mm -hmm. what hasn't been included before, because just we look at things in a different way. It's a natural thing and nothing wrong with that. Men and women are complementing each other. And that's why we needed to have both in all this area. But if we put women in the side, in the back or in the background, you know, we don't, we will not see this contribution. And we just talked about agriculture and the impact of a climate change in agriculture and in women and in the families. So we always know that women are on the forefront when dealing with the impact of climate change. And if we don't include them also in finding solutions, then we're not going to have the right solutions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's basically, again, the part of diversity because it's not either men or no. women who can solve today's problems or combat today's crisis because it's basically everybody and we need all hands on deck and uh, like it says in my kind to combat the nexus of gender and climate it's not either or but it's an and it's we can only do that together um well you you already mentioned that when if women would be given the decision-making position in climate uh, in engineering, they could have a very big um, chance to do things differently. Um, for example, I would always hope for more toilets for women because um, the space is ba basically the same for for men and women in uh, on on the in the toilet space. But well. We only have four toilets, whereas men have six or eight. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always still hoping for that. That architects considering when they have the buildings, and also you know considering children, you know even in toilets, you know you get a little child that cannot reach the sink, you know yeah. things like that as simple as this. And I think women would rem would think about those because they deal with it when they're dealing with their children. So. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Hanan, there's the question popping up in my head. What impact could women in engineering have if given the chance to combat climate change? I think if women given the chance to combat climate change and have action in that, I think, especially women engineers, if we're talking about, or we're talking about women in general. Women engineers. Women engineers. Women engineers. Yeah. So if women engineers are given the chance to combat climate change, I think they would come up with solutions that these solutions will be maybe more practical and would consider, uh, you know, the impact of climate change on the society rather than dealing with the impact of climate change without considering people who are affected by it. And I would, you know, I want to think of this like as an example. And so, for example, if you are to build a water system that would work and would be you know, environmentally efficient and would not 
have uh, power that is, you know, a lot of power consumption, whatever. A woman, when she's working with that, she would consider, you know, having a more efficient power, but at the same time, she would consider where this water would be used and how we can reuse this water and how we can recycle this water because she knows from her experience, you know, and, and I would talk about like myself, for example, as a mother, I know what my kids are doing. And so if they're showering, where would this water go? How many showers we have a week? Mm -hmm. All these details. And, you know, sometimes men are not aware of and they're not considering them. But women would know the right consumption. They would know what's needed and they would know what would be making a house very efficient without using a big amount of water or without a reduced amount. So this is just an example. I think, and, and again, you know, to be fair, lots of men are involved in raising their kids in other societies. So I'm talking just, you know, about the MENA region, for example, mm -hmm. where it is a woman responsibility, but having that other, having a woman in the, in the same room with a man brainstorming and finding solutions will bring all these ideas and bringing all these perspectives that maybe the man never thought of. Mm -hmm. And those give us, you know, better solutions to where we have a sustainable life that is not harming our environment. Yeah, so basically we're coming back again to the point of having the diversity, having the diversity. And um, I was wondering about the question, about one question. Um, would you say that, it's import that it is important um, to have women with um, with different social backgrounds, like from, let's say from a rather poor family or from a rather rich family, could I, cause I could imagine, like, I mean, in Germany, we're still in the, in the, where people or children from, from, from parents with an academic background, they are, they tend to attend university more often than, children from parents with a non-academic background so I think it's it's also that we it's also important to, that we take that point in in consider consideration when when thinking about whose hands should be on the deck when thinking and engineering the future yes and, and not only that you know if you look at it I mean I gave the example of Yemen you know a country that's suffering and they don't have the basic requirements for a normal life and you get somebody from that area where they consider every simple aspect, where you get somebody from a country, you know, like a, like a, a wealthy country like Qatar, where mm -hmm. everything is easily accessible. And that's, you know, bring a, the two sides and you can see what each side would bring. You get the technology and everything in here in one side and you get, you know, the very basic simple life and the very basic needs that are not existing and both could work together. I, I believe that diversity is another word for strength. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not diverse and we need that in our life. And it's unfortunate that there were so many social barriers. There were so many, you know, discrimination for many years that made diversity, made it difficult for people to accept different people or, you know, different groups. And we are now realizing, like after being through COVID, we just realized that, you know, it doesn't really matter where you are. You're in a wealthy country, you got everything you want, or you are, you know, in a country where you don't have even electricity and water running, and you still, both of you are facing COVID and good luck, you know? And so, <laughs> so we're all 
we're all in the same boat and it comes the same thing comes to climate change you know uh, you're in germany everything is nice you know people are doing their best to have uh, you know good systems you're biking to school you know to your work you're not um, you're trying to reduce your uh, carbon footprint and you're doing your best and then you go to another country where that's not even considered but whatever is happening there is impacting you yeah sure and so I'm, I'm, we're all yeah. the same thing we're we're all in the in the same boat basically as you said and we're all we're all in it in it together and i think that is very nice about that current time we're living in that people really get aware of it and that people are like realizing it really like some people not not everybody but <laughs> i think but, but, but we see a big improvement yeah, and i'm yeah and what you said you know if i if i talk to my children children i have a 12 years old daughter and eight years old son and my daughter turned vegetarian two months ago because she doesn't want to you know impact animals she thinks that what we are doing with the animals is affecting the environment you know she wants to help the environment so this is her perspective and at the same time she's with her friends she's like i say okay so you know your friends where are they from and she says i don't even ask you know they're my friends you know they're doesn't really matter mm -hmm. that's the same age we share the same ideas so the new generation it does not ask and that's what i like about your question you didn't ask where are you from because it doesn't really matter who we are is you know what we made ourselves and what we learned you know how we grew and how yeah. we developed ourselves and you could be in the same country growing up in the same environment but you could be different than somebody else it's of us who, of course who make yeah, 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 yeah. But I think as well, um, it depends a lot where you grow up in which environment. Um, so so that's why I I really enjoy that question because it gives, like everybody, all the listeners, such a deep background of, like, wow, this person has like lived in five different countries. Oh no, this person had has just lived in one country or, whatever. But it's it's so nice to to have like a little background. Um, yeah, Hannah, there is one more question I have. We have already discussed on diversity on like how what women bring to the table for especially. Um, so we have discussed several recommendations already how to combat the nexus of gender and climate change. But what would you, would be your specific recommendations that you would give to break really the nexus of gender and climate change? Climate change. I think what we need is we need to work together. We can't solve a problem if we are divided. You know, we know that the division is weakness. And I, we said, you know, I said earlier, uh, diversity is a strength and we need all the hands. We need everybody to work together to solve the problems. And we don't wanna look at the problem from one angle or from using one lens. We need to have everyone. And as what you said, it's a diverse background, it's a diverse gender, you know, it's even different ages. We find now that, you know, teenagers and children are giving us their perspective as well, which is very nice. And I think that's what we need. Division is not going to strengthen us. We need to be together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everybody out there if you could see our smiles right now on our face that would be that would be so awesome because we're smiling from 
one side to the other and have a bright smile on the face. <laughs> and then I thank you so, so much for, for this very, very lovely talk. I am so grateful for your time and thank you so, so much. Thank you, Annika. And it was a pleasure. And thank you for, you know, giving me a chance to talk about what we do in this region. So it's nice to share you know, share it with the rest of the world. And uh, as what we said, you know, we are one word. So it's nice to understand each other. Thank you everybody for listening. Please make sure to hit the bell to not miss any episode because only together we can change our world for the better.